glad to be here with all of you this morning. Uh, this is the third ser- sermon for me now, and in every one of them, there's been a technical issue. So it just goes with the territory. The last place I was at, the last church, uh, we, I was preaching. It was on Easter Sunday, and I just asked the question, I wonder what the disciples felt like. And then there was this large bang, and the whole place, the lights went off. And then they came back on, and, and it was a wild and crazy time. So I am not foreign to technical difficulties. So, uh, but I'm glad to be here. Uh, if you're new, if you don't know who I am, I am Cody Raglan. I'm the Connections Pastor here. Uh, I did have a picture of my wife and my daughter, Joanna, on the screen, but, uh, you know, none of that today. So uh, we're excited to be here. My daughter, she's eight months old, and uh, Chris and I have been married for a, uh, a little over five and a half years now. So uh, we're, we're excited to, to be here, and it's a privilege to be speaking with all of you this morning. Today, I want to talk to you, though, about this idea that God is our refuge and he is with us. How many, with a show of hands, uh, know that we're living in a day and age where life seems to be pretty uncertain in most ways? Okay, yeah, yeah, we are, aren't we? So, and for a secular people in a secular society, things seem pretty grim and perhaps even hopeless in many ways. But for the believer, us who believe, there's a different reality, isn't there? We who have placed our hope and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that this did not catch God by surprise, did it? But I'm not naive to think as believers we're walking around unscathed by what is happening. See, we need to be reminded of the greatness of God, the very goodness of God, and that ultimately our security as believers is ultimately found in him. So that's what we're looking at today. That is, God is our refuge and he is with us. But before we dive into that this morning, uh, I want to pray for us. And, uh, I, and I, uh, I, the last place I was at, I would always pray for a different church in, in Bella Vista. Uh, because I recognize, that, and I hope you do too, that we're not the only church in Bella Vista. And there are other churches and God's working in and through them. And we need to keep and lift them up as well as a body. So I'm going to pray uh, for the Bella Vista Assembly of God Church this morning. And uh, go ahead and I'm going to, Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to be here. Christ, I pray that you would use me in this sermon to speak to the people that you've assembled here as well as those, I think, may, who may be watching from online. I don't actually know that. But God, we, uh, we pray that you would be exalted and that people would be able to know, God, at the end of the day, that you are their refuge and that you are for them. God, uh, I pray most specifically, specifically today for the Bella Vista Assembly of God Church, God, that you would touch Pastor Jonathan and his whole staff over there, continue to lead and guide them as they reach out to uh, Bella Vista and the whole community on that west side, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I mentioned already, we're looking at Psalms 46 today. So if you have your Bibles or your electronic devices, and I hope, see, these are the times when we are reminded we need these things, right? Amen. Uh, we need to be reminded that, that here's an actual Bible that I can bring with me. So I hope next week this will help you to bring your Bibles with you. So we're looking at Psalms 46, 
And we're going to be reading verses, the whole thing, the whole chapter. It's 1 through 11. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Psalms 46 is known as a community hymn or a psalm of Zion or a psalm of confidence. Uh, it's a psalm that expresses great confidence and trust in a God in the midst of great turmoil. This threefold repetition that God is for us and the twofold repetition that God is with us is meant to bring assurance to us, the reader. That the covenant-making, promise-keeping God is with us and he is for us. And not only that, but he is ever-present with us as well. See, there's three main metaphors that we find throughout this psalm describing God. The first is, God is a refuge. Secondly, God is strength. And lastly, God is a fortress. Now, all three words reveal the source and effectiveness of Israel's confidence. That is, God and God alone is their security. See, it's not God plus something else. Their confidence was not ultimately in a political leader, but rather God and only God. I believe as Americans, we need to be reminded of that today, don't we? I believe it's important to point out here that each one of these metaphors describing God, they point to a people who are in need of a God like the one described here in Psalms 46. Which begs the question, are you in need of help today? Do you find yourself lacking in more than one way? Does your world seem to be crumbling around you? Well, friend, I pray that this psalm will be for you today. Let's begin by looking at the first point, which is the God who is with us during a cosmic collapse. Let's read, I'm going to read those verses again, one through three. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. From the very onset of this psalm, we are confronted with the fact that God is a refuge and He is strength. 
The Hebrew word here for refuge is a common word used to describe God in the Old Testament. It's used 94 times throughout the whole New Testament, or the Old Testament, and 44 of those times is found right here in the Psalms. Now, a refuge here means a place of safety or danger or hardship or something that you turn to for assistance or security. Now, the psalmist here does not waste any time jumping into who God is. That is, God is a refuge and he is strength. And one of the things that we are either comforted with or confronted with as the reader this morning is, that the, is asking the question, do we believe that God is our refuge? Do you, as children, truly see God as your refuge and strength today? See, there seems to be so many other things in our world that, that are vying for us and for our attention and for us to put our trust and faith in and our, to ultimately be a refuge. And our world is full of those things. Uh, you might go, if we go back to the working definition that explains something or someone turned to for assistance or security. So I may touch some toes here, but things like sports, or retail therapy, or streaming shows on TV, to more illicit ways and usage of drugs, or the overconsumption of alcohol, to pornography and codependency relationships. These different things are used daily by people all around us, and perhaps you, even yourself which says something deeply about what we do as people and, and that we're looking for peace, we're looking for security. And if we really break down though, what is unbelief? All unbelief is, is perverted faith. For it puts trust in someone or something rather, other than God which poses the question for all of us this morning, do we really trust God as our refuge. We find here from the onset that the psalmist is declaring God and God alone is the refuge and strength. And the reason why God is a refuge is because he has an unlimited amount of power. He has an unlimited amount of strength. He's strong. He's mighty. He's eternal. He who created the stars and the galaxies and all the heavens and the, and the, that science hasn't even discovered yet, God created all of it. This is God, our God, who, leave, who never leaves us nor forsakes us because God is sovereign and he's eternal. You, friends, can trust God you can trust God to remain as if he's always been the way he's always been. This idea is commonly known in a theological sense as the immutability of God, meaning the very unchangeableness of God. That means we can trust God to remain the same. 2 Samuel 22, 3 declares, My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. Friends, this is who God is. 
He's the safest one that you and I can turn to. But perhaps this morning, do you believe that? Do you struggle with actually believing that that you can turn to God? Do you believe he's with us? The psalmist actually is going to squelch that question. He says in a very powerful line, a very present help in trouble. And this is going to be the theme throughout the entire psalm, that God is with us and he is a very present help in trouble. See, I love the language of present help here. See, this is not a God who is far away. This is not a God who who spun the world into existence and then said, all right, good luck, hope you enjoy yourselves. No, that's what the agnostics would like for you to believe. No, he is near. In fact, he is a very present help in the times of trouble. You might be thinking, well, if he's near, Cody, then why can't I feel him? Well, friends, just because you can't see or feel him doesn't mean he's not there. Faith has to transcend feelings and feeling and even sight. There's many times that we literally can't feel or, or, or see the manifestation of air, but we know that the air is still there, right? We're all breathing. At least I am. Maybe you are. See, God is even with us, even when we can't see or feel him. In fact, the psalmist will give us an example in verse 2 of God being near. And even when there's a, even the potential of the greatest cataclysmic event that would ever happen on the face of the earth. Where it looks like the whole world is falling apart. I mean, how would you respond if your whole world caved in? Perhaps you might even be in that place right now. Where it seems like your whole world is falling in on itself. Where, where life as you have known it has been ripped out from underneath you. Perhaps you lost a job. Or your spouse just recently passed away. Or your marriage is in a mess. Perhaps your electricity is about to be shut off. Perhaps your, your home is about to be foreclosed on. See, life seems to be throwing more at you than you know how to even manage. To whom or where do you run for help? Pain has a way of revealing where our trust really lies. But God can use our pain to help us see where our true security ultimately lies. Notice what the psalm says. Therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam. Though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Man, I have to ask the question, what is causing the absence of fear for this psalm? It's the very nearness of God's presence with him. Because God's presence is with me, therefore I will not fear, though my marriage seems to be on the rocks. Could you say that? Therefore I will not fear over my spouse, even though my spouse or I may have received terrible news from the doctor. Therefore, I will not fear even though I'm alone in the house now after my spouse is passing. Friends, this is real life. This is where life smacks you right in the face. 
But as children of God, of the Most High God, you can trust and know that God is your refuge and he is there with you. Even if life throws its worst at you. The hymn that we sung uh, just a little while ago was written by a man named Horatio Spafford after his three daughters drowned at sea on their way from here, uh, from New York to England. And the story goes that Horatio stopped in the Atlantic along where the boat was to have sunk and where his girls have died. And he was inspired to write these words that eventually brought about the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. The first verse goes like this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou has taught me to know, it is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. See, friends, here's a man who understood and knew the very real presence of pain and of loss. But even more importantly than that, he knew the very real presence of God. He understood that God was truly with him in the troubled times. Would you be able to sing such words? It is well with my soul in the midst of your situation today. You know, when you think of a mountain, typically you think of the, a, a strong and unmovable object, right? But the psalmist says, even if the earth itself were to give way, if the mountains were to be flung into the sea, I mean, can you imagine? The closest thing that I can picture is, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but back in 2011, there was a massive earthquake off of uh, Japan. And it created a huge tsunami that killed 16, almost 16,000 people. And I, don't, I watched it live, and it was incredible. Uh, I watched in fear, and I'm sure if I was standing on the seashore like so many of those folks, I would have been in fear as well. But many people tried to flee to higher ground, but ultimately to no avail. But yet the psalmist declares, even if something situation like that were to happen, that ultimately we should not fear. The psalmist's idea is here that, that God is even more sure and steady than the grandest and tallest mountains during a cosmic collapse. Even if your very life itself were to be threatened with annihilation. See, as we've talked about already, people find their security in all types of things. Money, homes, family, friends, business connections, specialized education, skills and training, as well as personal talents. But do you know what all of these things have in common? Do you know? They're shakable. They're shakable. But God, who is strong and steady, He is unshakable, constantly and continually present with us. I mean, what a wonderful truth for us today. The word God used here in the Hebrew is the word Yahweh, which means a covenant God. That points to, the, to a promise that, that he is a promise-keeping God. 
The God who kept his promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, who eventually helped the, the, the Israelites leave Egyptian, the Egyptian bondage and slavery and to the conquering of the promised land. God remained faithful and true to them. And, the, and the, the readers of the Old Testament were able to see this. They were able to connect with that. They knew God as that promise-keeping God. Friend, I want to encourage you today. He is faithful. Will you give him a chance to show you his faithfulness? There was a period early on in Chris and I's life um, where God really showed himself to be faithful in our marriage. Uh, after an internship at one church, it took 18 months for me to finally get another church job. Uh, I affectionately call that time the 18 months of hell. It was. It was a very, it was an arduous time. I, said, I, I even couldn't even get a job at Academy Sports. I mean, you think about that. Here I have, I got a master's degree. And I can't even get a job at Academy Sports. God was doing something. Rejection after rejection after rejection. I really questioned a lot of things during that period of my life. There were two things, most importantly, that God needed to fundamentally help me with. And that was, did I really believe God to be good? And could I trust him? And ultimately, fundamentally... You're going to have to ask those two questions. You're going to have to ask those two questions. And you're going to have to ask those two questions fundamentally. Do you believe God is good? Do you believe you can truly trust him? And friends, God was faithful for us. Here I am, a a long time later. I'm standing before you. And God made some significant things happen for us and it's, it's been amazing uh, but there's no doubt I was tested my faith was tested but I found God to be proven true I found him to be proven faithful and praise God for that well secondly he is a God who is with us during national turmoil I want to pick up with verse 4 and we're going to read through 7 there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the most high God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So in an instant, we go from this very chaotic picture of of mountains quaking and falling into the sea to, to a place of peace. A place where the very presence of God is in the midst. Where the streams make glad the city of our God. Even while the nations are surrounding Jerusalem. The city of God here is a direct correlation and connection with the city of Jerusalem. But if you have ever been to Jerusalem, you'll know that there is no large river that flows through the city. Uh, There's a couple of smaller rivers, but nothing that would hold up during a time of siege. And we get this picture that the psalmist is describing Jerusalem being under a siege. And a great fear that any fortress city in the Middle East would have had would have been that the water supply had the potential of actually being cut off. Uh, In fact, it was the weakest point for any fortress city. 
So otherwise, a city with a large water supply would be able to hold off tax for a long time. So a city, the fortress city, would put a lot of trust in water, okay? And I would say amen to that. <laughs> but the psalmist says that God is in the midst of her. The river mentioned here is really a metaphor actually for God. If the contrast from verses 3 to verses 4 and 5 reveal to us that, that when God's presence is in the midst, all chaos that must cease, even despite what's going on around them. But if you will make God your refuge, he will bring peace to your chaos. See, what the psalmist is describing here is that God's presence is even more important than water to a besieged city. You ever thought about that? That is why the river who makes glad is the city of our God. Because the God's very presence is there. The true sustaining river. Have you personally experienced the rivers that make glad? Friends, you can today by turning to Jesus Christ, giving your life to Jesus Christ. You can receive new life, new rivers in him. Acts 4, 10 through 12 declares, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name, no other name, under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Amen. Friends, it's the Spirit of God that enters us when, you, when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior and as our Master. See, salvation belongs to no other than to Jesus Christ. But some of you might be saying, Cody, I've been a Christian a long time, but I have never tasted these streams that make glad, or maybe I haven't tasted them in so long. Friend, have you looked for God lately? Or has the world taken its grip on your very heart? I want to encourage you today to turn to Christ. Be reminded of his vastness and that truly he is a refuge and that he is your strength. These streams that make glad can become yours afresh and anew today. Notice how the God helped them against all of their enemies. It says that the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. What a description. See, the nation's rage is this thought of being in state of commotion and chaos and, and noise. And the kingdoms are tottering, meaning they're off balance. And, and if you have ever been in a canoe and tried to stand up like I have, you know that you can get off balance pretty quickly. You can find yourself tottering. And that was exactly, and is exactly, what was happening to the nation's. The psalmist is saying, God caused the nations that were coming against them to, to come into confusion and chaos. They stumbled and ultimately fell. 
The Old Testament is filled with other rich examples of things where God supernaturally intervened on behalf of the people. So friend, today, I, I may ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe God can supernaturally intervene on behalf of your situation? What about our country? I don't know about you, but I feel like our country is in a pretty chaotic mess right now. It's time for people, believers, to return to God as refuge. No political leader is going to be able to satisfy what you're ultimately longing for. For he is a refuge. And then we will be able to, in unison, declare together, verse 7, where it says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So as children of God today, you can rest knowing that nothing is going to overcome you because God is in you and he's your fortress because nothing is going to overcome God. See, the word fortress is, means a high place that's impenetrable. This is who God is. No one thing or is, is capable to overcoming God. So friends, I would encourage you, put your trust, put your faith in God. A God who is capable to intervene in your life. But do you believe that? Well, the third point I want to make this morning is God who is with us during divine intervention slash judgment. The last stanza says, come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The word, those two words, come and behold, is in the imperative mood here. Which means it's, it's a command. He's issuing a command. To come and behold has this idea of action on our part. It's something that we do. Behold has this thought of looking and even gazing upon something for a really long time. Many of you have probably been stargazing at some point in your life. Yeah? Maybe. Okay. I'm okay to interact with, by the way. So, But... If you have, if you've been stargazing, you understand that there, you're beholding something. You're looking at it for a long time. And the psalmist here is suggesting for us to behold, to look for a long time, to observe the works of the Lord. In a spiritual context here, to behold something is to become more like what you're beholding. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, the apostle Paul writes, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Do you hear what the Lord is, or do you hear what the Apostle Paul is saying there? Our beholding of the Lord is actually transforming us into the very same image and likeness of Christ. That's good news, isn't it? We become more like Christ the more we behold him. When's the last time that you beheld the works of God? 
The reality is, the more you behold God and what he has done, the more you're going to see God as your refuge and your strength and know that he is there with you. Notice how the psalmist helps us see this by describing for us the picture of the works of the Lord in an end time like fashion. He says how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Notice who's doing the intervening here. It's God, isn't it? What he's really describing is an end times judgment scenario upon the earth. And while the outcome is eventually peace, the process to get there is actually divine judgment. And frankly, friends, this is very scary for those who are found not to be in Christ. The words, he makes war cease, is in the context <clears throat> excuse me, of great judgment. Where God himself is seen as the divine warrior king. And, and which is a common depiction of Yahweh found throughout the, old, the whole entire Old Testament. And friends, I think we all have a tendency to, to forget sometimes how great and mighty God truly is, don't we? At least I can. That he alone makes war cease to the end of the earth by personally breaking the bow, burning the chariots with fire. See, God is not negotiating with anyone at this point. The very weapons and, that, and, the, and, the, and the, the chariots he's destroying personally. See, the very thing that the nations hope and, and put protection in ultimately is going to be found to be useless before God. The re, this is the reality of what's coming upon the earth. This final judgment. That's why we see the psalm quote, as God himself speaks. This is God saying this. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. See, friends, God is issuing a command for not only his people, but for all people throughout the entire world to one day be still and know that God is God. And I believe be still here is in direct connection with beholding. See, when we're still enough to behold God, then, we're deep, then we know that we can deeply know God is God, that he is a refuge. But I, prob, I think the problem for most of us, especially in our society, is that we don't know how to be still, do we? I believe one of the greatest tricks of the enemy today is keeping us busy and distracted with uselessness. It really is. Have you noticed when you're busy and distracted, one of the last things you think about is God? While our world today tries to hide and even silence God and suggest that his very existence is not even real, there's coming a day when the whole world will know that God is God. Amen. That, that he is exalted, the only one above, above the earth. That every God-fearing and godless nation alike will one day truly have to acknowledge that God is God and there is no other. One day every nation is going to have to say that. Distractions will no longer be useful. 
For nothing will exalt itself above God. Only God is God. And Philippians 2, 10 through 11 proclaims, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. (laughs) Have you confessed Jesus is Lord? When was the last time that you slowed down just enough to meditate and behold the works of God? See, the friends, the result of you slowing down and reflecting upon God is being able to come to that great affirmation that the psalmist made again in verse 11. That the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So for our ride home today, for those who are found to be in Christ, this is the greatest news of all. That God is ultimately with us in death and in life. Those who are found to be in Christ are his for all eternity. That's great news for us, isn't it? But those who are not will face the final judgment where they will be immediately sent to hell where they will spend eternity with Satan and all of his demons and they will experience the full separation from God. And friends, that is the most scariest thing that you ever could think of. Therefore, friends, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord, I would encourage you, repent of your sins and confess Jesus Christ as Lord today. Make him the savior of your life. So that he may become your refuge for all eternity. So that we could all together as one collective body trust God and declare he is our refuge and he is with us. Amen. Practically I want to give you one step this week. I would encourage you to take 30 minutes out of your day to be still and behold the works of God. Read back through this psalm, Psalms 46. Meditate over it. And ask yourself two questions. Does what I worry about seem bigger than God? I'll say it again because I know it's not on the screen. Does what I worry about seem bigger than God? And the second question, which may, it's it's a longer one. Does my present situation make me run to God for help? Or am I trying to figure out my current situation on my own? I'll say it again. Does my present situation make me run to God for help? Or am I trying to figure out my current situation on my own? Those fundamental questions are going to help you, I believe. I encourage you, apply this truth to your life today. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, God, that you are our refuge and that we can trust you, God. We can trust you with all with our life here, but also in eternity, Lord. And Christ, I pray that you would be with us even now. God, for those who may be here that are wanting to give their life, Christ, I pray that you help that. Lord, and for all of us who 
for being reminded that you are refuge. God, I pray that this will not leave the, the people who are here. God, that they will know Jesus, you as their refuge. In, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.